0: In the Lab, a Texans podcast that takes a different look at things. Drew Doherty and John Harris have their lab coats and goggles on and the Bunsen burners burning. Here's Drew.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome into In the Lab. Drew Doherty with my good pal, John Harris. Not just one hand up, but two hands up waving at you there. Johnny, how you been, buddy?
0: I've been okay. I like jazz hands. (laughs) So it's trying to give you some jazz hands. My hands are too big to do jazz hands uh the lighting
1: there know. the lighting there in your room is it uh it looks like it's a, a like more baby blue than a teal blue like it normally is Is it changed, or is it just the lighting
0: uh, i think it's just the lighting we haven't done we haven't done anything in here so i guess with the light it does some different things but um i don't know i like the i, I just like my wife's painting in the background so i like for that to always be there she's a brilliant artist and she did that many many years ago her best friend um at a, an abandoned house on the river at uh, in Savannah, Georgia. So, shed some light on that. But yeah, I think it's just the lighting. Two hours from now, it wouldn't look the same.
1: Was there a van at that house down by the river?
0: I don't think so. I think Matt Foley was somewhere else. Okay,
1: I'm in my house. I'm in the master bedroom. Yesterday, I can't,
0: don't pry. I can't promise you.
1: Yesterday, I did a because okay. It's, it's it all kind of comes together. There's a lot of synergy here. You just moments before we started taping this you mm-hmm. did an interview with texags you do that yeah. every thursday or excuse me tuesday during uh during the week and mm-hmm. yesterday i did an interview with cullen gillespie oh nice aggie the only 12th man ever drafted the only 12th man to ever score a touchdown he was very very productive for the texans on special teams last year the few times he was on the field on offense good things happened for the offense. It was a fun yeah. conversation. We did 12 questions and as you might imagine, because you know about him, <laughs> get some fun get some fun stuff to say. But he was oh, a yeah. really good sport because John, you have dogs? I have dogs. My dogs went bananas in the middle of it. And I was like, "I'm sorry, man." And he goes, "Oh no, it's that's what pretty much every Zoom meeting is like team-wise kind <laughs> of the last month." He's like, "I've seen kids, I've heard people leave it. it's So it's all good. Uh, It was fun to see it. My internet also crapped out in the middle of it. And it might crap out here because I'm in the back of my house. But I have no idea what's going on. Because yesterday I was really close to the internet or the box and just went bananas. But today... Uh, It happens. It happens. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, it happens. Today we're going to do a little over-undering, true or falsing. And we're going to talk about the 2020 Texans with that in mind. And let's just go right off the bat. Over-under 2020 Texans get nine and a half wins.
0: I, I said, and I think I, I, I want to say I said this to Mark just offhand, and I might have been in the middle of a rant. I don't, I don't know. But I said 10 and six, like just bang, just 10 and six. I didn't go through and go, they'll win this, they'll lose this, they'll win this, they'll win this, they'll get a streak here, they'll lose this, they'll win this. I didn't do that. But I just literally threw out 10 and six. So I would be sort of hypocritical if I didn't repeat that in, say, ten wins. So yeah. I would go over nine and a half. Now, I think nine and seven against this against this schedule is, A, it is. Eh, what's the right way of saying this? That's not a bad thing. First of all, I think it definitely puts you in the playoffs, uh, which there's one extra team in the playoffs this year. The Texans have never gotten a wild card. They have always gotten in uh, the f- six years they've been in. They've always won the division, 11, 12, 14, uh, sorry, 15, 16, 18, 19. That's a really good point,
1: actually. That's a really, really good because the Oilers, they wild carded their way in all the yeah. time
0: back in the day. And yeah. they did stuff. And the Texans yeah. have been division champs. Yeah. So they've never been a wild card. But look, don't the, as Tennessee proved last year, you just got to get in the dance, you know? And and if you get in the dance and you've got the right chess pieces moving in the right direction, you're fine. So I think nine and seven gets you there. I eight and eight is gonna be really It's going to be tight to be that seventh spot, but I could see it happening this year. It just depends on with those eight wins, they got to make sure that you've got the right eight wins and make sure you got the AFC wins uh, and the head-to-head wins um, if you're going to finish eight and eight. But I think 10 and six, and again, I go back to, I think the offense is going to be better um, just because it's going to be multi-layered. I think it's going to be a little bit more dynamic. The offensive line's got continuity. I think Kahale Wearing is going to be a factor in the tight end receiving game. Uh, and I think the offense is going to be – I don't know if better is the right word, but they're going to be more diverse. And I think that's going to give teams some issue. And I think the defense is going to be much better than people think. The more I think about this defense, the more I feel like, man, I, 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 I'm not sure that I see the sieve unit that a lot of people think this, this team, this defense is going to be. Look, last year you know, there were periods of time where they got just gutted because well, they've had a hold lot on. of
1: injuries. Hold on, though. I think, and you're—I know where you're going with this, but I think that idea that you mentioned that you you talked about—it's what people have last in their memories, and right. they did get sieved in Kansas City. But think right. about what happened to to, to help that speed along—a I, I special teams unit that had been lights out all season long—in right. in the span of about three or four special teams plays. They let a, right. a big kickoff return, give the Chiefs a short field, touchdown. They uh, they were not able to convert the fake punt, give them a short field, right. touchdown. And then they fumble away the ball on a kickoff. I mean, it was uncharacteristic of what we'd seen from them all season long. And you gave, you gave them basically 21 points, 21 easy yeah. points. And then from there, it was like a snowball going down a hill. So, yeah, I'm with you on this. But I just want to make and, that point because I know where you're going yeah. with yours. But so many people have – just the last, you know, that, three quarters yeah. of the season in their mind,
0: and and everybody talks about you know fifty-one to seven. Well, you know those those first twenty-one points they got came off of those three short fields. Yeah. Now obviously they ended up getting thirty after that and moved the ball, but the Texans were playing without two starting safeties, or you know, or a starting safety and then a key safety that came in a lot, Jalil Adai. So they were without those two safeties. Um, J- uh, Lonnie Johnson gets banged up on a kickoff return, on a Miko Hardman kickoff return. J.J. Watt was just in his second game back. Uh, That was not a healthy defense at the end of the season, and hopefully going through this year with a little bit more depth at some spots. And I don't think they're done adding. Now, I don't know exactly what they can do, but I don't think they're done adding, and I think that's going to add to the depth on the defensive side.
1: Still got four or five roster spots left. Yeah. So they're not at
0: 90 right now. Right. So I do think, and and I don't know that anything will be earth-shattering, but I think considering Watt being back healthy, and a lot of people are like, well, he's not going to be healthy. How how do you know? You have no idea. Um, But what he has, you know, come up against are not things that are from lack of preparation um, or, you know, uh, know, uh, uh, soft tissue issues, you know, that just pop up. You know, there are things that happen when he's going to make a tackle and boom, you know, his, his pet gets torn. You know, it's unfortunate stuff. So, from that perspective, if Watt's back, I think there are some guys that are going to take some big steps this year. Big steps. Yep.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. And it's a good point you bring so, up about, I think
0: 10 and 6 for all those things I just said.
1: Right. And I'll get into my prediction in a minute, but you brought up the Watt stuff. 16 and 17, he had the, the core, the back, the knee, all that stuff kind of went together. That was nasty. Right. Came back in 18, he was an all-pro. 19, last year, it's, it's a pec injury, which is so weird, so yeah. just out of, out of left field. Mario yeah. Williams had the, the exact same injury in week five of 2011. He had five sacks at that point. Lost him for the season. Well, he wound up, I think at least two more seasons after that in Buffalo, having at least 14 sacks. I mean, he had some yeah. good seasons after that pec injury. And J.J. Watt's a better player, much better player than Mario Williams. Yeah. So it's a, a definite possibility of that happening. Now Mario was a little younger when that went down, but right. I still think it's it's very, very likely, very much within the realm of possibility that J.J. is the J.J. We know who he is and can stay healthy. Now I'm I'm with you. I'm over on the uh, the, the nine wins, nine and a half wins, simply because of who's under center. I mean Deshaun Watson yeah. uh, is going to help and make this team go forward. He's going to propel it forward. Every year in the Bill O'Brien era, we hear and we see in August and in early September these articles about how, oh, well, the DVOA, I think the Texans (laughs) will be lucky to win six, seven games this year. In every single season, every single season aside from 17 when Watson got injured, but every year they've always outperformed that. So keep that in the back of your mind when you see these doom and gloom articles about the Texans and DVOA, and hey, maybe this year it catches up to them and we're all wrong, but they have always outperformed that, and this year I think it's going to be because of Watson in years past before Watson got here, a lot of of good coaching, a lot of things happened.
0: What was that all about? Can you see my eyes rolling with that DVOA stuff? Can you see that? Can I saw it. Yeah. Like, oh my God. You scared me. I thought but, I'd lost seriously. my
1: internet connection again. And I was like, uh, <laughs>
0: <"Man."> <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I should know better. I hear that DVOA stuff when I want to, I want to puke. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, Drew. I wrote a, a small article. I, I follow the guy's got to be a friend of mine. John Middlecoff. He does a, a podcast yeah. with Guy Haberman and they had David Shaw, who's the head coach at Stanford. And they, uh, They were talking about a number of different things, and I don't know how this this got up, this this got brought up. But Shaw talked about his good friend Dabo Sweeney, and he talked about going to spring practice the spring between Deshaun's freshman and sophomore years. So Deshaun had the ACL tear, so he was still rehabbing. So Deshaun was on the sideline for practice, and I know I'm not going to do it justice, but David Shaw said he watched the entire practice with Deshaun. And he said, I cannot tell you how impressive it was. It was the he said it was the most impressive thing he's ever seen from a player not practicing. He said every single play, he would call it the play, he would call it the defense, he would call out what the quarterback was supposed to do, and then Dabo would walk over and he'd give Dabo his thoughts, and then he'd give him recommendations on what he should do. He talked to players. David said it was. He said it was amazing. He said, when you get access to that brain, as he called it, he said, that's a Drew Brees brain. Uh, that's an Andrew Luck brain. I was like, whoa, man, that's big words. And, I mean, you know, Clemson Stanford, you know, they have played once, like, back in 1986, so they never crossed over. So I didn't really get how David Shaw would know Deshaun, but he told that story. I was like, man, that's really telling uh, about a guy. And, by the way, if you haven't seen uh, Deshaun do the film session with Kurt Warner and Brian Baldinger, it's really, really good. It's NFL Game Pass. I think it's free right now for Texas fans. It is. Excellent. Yeah. It is excellent. He goes through a touchdown play, gives the name of the play, goes through the whole thing. It's really, really good.
1: Yeah, well, you and I, I mean, we've talked with Bill O'Brien in the past off camera, and he's he, he talked about when, when Deshaun was a rookie, you know, O'Brien would just text him at random times when, yeah. the, when the players were off and they weren't yeah. doing anything. It was maybe like July, early July. But he texts him situations, you're like, what would you do here? And he sends the text, and then the three dots appear – and within a few seconds, he's got an answer. So it's not like he was looking it up on Google. I mean, he was like bang, bang, yeah. bang. And O'Brien's offense, his playbook, it's been complicated. It's there's a yep. lot to absorb in that. And Deshaun was picking it up and flourishing in it as a rookie. So yeah, anyways, we, we're we're rambling on. I've, I've only gotten into one over-under so far, but yeah, that's what we do. That's, here what happens, in the man. Lab. that's good. All right, let's oh, do the next good. one. Next one. It's not an over-under, but it's true or false. Okay. There will be a 1,000-yard receiver on the Houston Texans in 2020.
0: I'm going to say false. Because the wealth gets spread around? Yeah. Uh, I, I just think that you're going to have a bunch of guys in the 500, 600-yard category. I think Deshaun I, – I gave this question to Mark uh, Monday night on radio. I gave him an over-under, and I said Deshaun Watson's passing yards over-under in 2020 as 4,000. And Deshaun's – way over Deshaun's uh career average per game is like 255.7 which I think that's right over 16 games that's like right at 4091 yards I just feel like he's going to go over that I think he's due to do 4200 and above and to be able to do that which I think he can do I think he's going to spread the wealth I think he's got four very capable receivers to throw to I think he has got four capable tight ends to throw to and two stud running backs as receivers. So I think all of that gets spread out a little bit more. Uh, And I do think that Will Fuller will be that guy that pushes that boundary. I think he is going to continue to be the deep threat as long as he stays healthy. He's going to continue to have a game or two a year where he just goes bonkers like he did against Atlanta, um, like he did against Seattle uh, in 2017, like he did against, Tennessee in 2017, 20, yeah, 2017. he's going to have those games. But I think it's just going to be spread out that much more. And I think that's ultimately what Bill O'Brien and the organization want to do. They want to yeah. spread that out. I mean, look, DeAndre Hopkins, you know how I feel about DeAndre. Tremendous player. But you get to a point where you lean on that guy so very much that you kind of short-circuit some of the other aspects of, of what you can do offensively. I think some of the times that the Texas offense looked the best last year was when it went a little bit more up-tempo, and it just – Deshaun took his drop, took the read, threw the guy that was open, catch it, first down, move, let's go. Hand off, 8, 10 yards, zone read, pitch it to the guy that's open, next play, and just go. And one of my favorite drives is the one against New England. There's a drive against New England where it was kind of pitched around, everybody had a catch. Boom, uh, hit Darren Fells on the RPO package for a wide-open touchdown. And it was like, boom, instead of just one. So I think there are going to be a number of guys with 600 yards receiving, and I'm totally fine with that. Okay. Completely fine. So I say false.
1: I agree with that aspect of it. I'm going to go with uh, True, though. I think Will Fuller is going to break through. I think if he's healthy, if he plays 14 games, 1,000 yards is a lock. I think it's happening. And I don't think it's going to be the 1,000 that – We've seen around here over the last few years with Hopkins, like you're talking about, I do think the wealth is going to get spread, but I think he's going to stay healthy this year, and I think Hopkins is cracking that 1,000-yard barrier. But you just said a name, Darren Fells, which leads me into my next one. Over-under, eight-and-a-half touchdown catches combined Mm. by the tight ends group. Last year they had nine, so if they were to go over, they'd at least match what they did last year. They're under, they don't get there. Fells had seven. Aikens had two. Both of Aikens came in in Los Angeles. You're saying over?
0: I'm going over. All right. I, I have always loved the tight ends. I obviously was a huge Gary Kubiak fan because he loved the tight ends. Bill O'Brien he didn't has have tight ends loved like tight ends. Though. He didn't have uh, a group are, like
1: this. He had Owen Daniels, and Owen Daniels was are great. These are different dudes, man. Dreesen was good, but these are guys are different, yeah.
0: These are different dudes, and you've got so many different ways that you can hurt teams. I mean, just think about what Fells did last year. Um, I think about that touchdown that Fells had against Jacksonville. They ran that little RPO package where he just kind of bleeds out to the flat and Deshaun just a little dart throw. That's a touchdown. So they can – you know, that, that's one. You know, I just got to get nine more uh, to get over the number. Or, no, I got to get eight more because you said the number is eight and a half. So I got to get eight – get over. Well, that's just a little, little dart throw. That's easy. Um, I think – and the more the season creeps up, the stronger I feel – about the impact of Kajale Waring. I just feel like Kajale Waring is maybe not going to be Travis Kelsey, but following the path of Travis Kelsey, when Kelsey was a rookie, I remember being really, really high on him. And then 2013, just a ghost. And I'm like, man, what happened? Oh, he got hurt, and he's missed the whole year. Yeah. And so nobody knew who Travis Kelsey was. Comes back in 2014, and you start to see it like, oh, okay, now I get it. But nobody who – no, like, that's eh, this guy going to give you. He's hurt all year in 2013. Eh, now he's, what, best tight end the game. Now, I'm not saying Kali Waring gets there to be that, but I do remember having the same thoughts watching Kelsey that I did watching Waring, like looking very similar in college. And that really, up to this point for Waring, is all we knew. And in 2014, it was all we knew about Travis Kelsey. So I think Kali Waring is going to come in and be a factor, and that could really create some mismatches with his athleticism.
1: Kahali Waring, by the way, has been part of a group of pass catchers that's been working out recently with Deshaun Watson and also plans to keep on working out with Deshaun Watson as far as throwing and catching. That's always good to hear because some guys are you know, not trapped but stuck in California or Arizona or Florida or elsewhere. They're not around during these times. He's been with number four. He's one of about seven or eight guys that's been around him, so that's good to see, fun to see maybe if that comes to fruition, all the stuff you talked about. This yep. fall, uh, I think I'm actually going to be, I'm actually going to be bearish on this. I think it's going to be under the nine and a half because I think the receivers are going to get some more, and I think the running backs Johnson yeah, and Johnson, I think they're going to catch some touchdowns and get in the house this year. But I don't think I think it's going to the, the number is going to get close as far as touchdowns for the tight ends. I think they'll stay under, but I do think you'll see the yardage rise quite substantially because Akins had about three eighty ish receiving yards, uh, and that led the group. Fells had less receiving yards. It was more bang for your buck as far as scoring. But I think those numbers receiving yards-wise go way up for for both those guys and Waring, maybe Jordan Thomas too. I think it's it's a really intriguing mix there. So I'm going to go under.
0: What's up? Let me give you the one name that I think can change everything for the tight ends. And you're going to hear it and go, huh? Titus Howard. Sure. Titus Howard, because when Titus was in the game, their five-man protection could stay a five-man protection. Yep. They could use a five-man protection against four and be totally fine. They could use a five-man protection against an extra uh, five and be fine. Where they ran into trouble was when Titus had to come out, and then they had to use Fells in particular and Aikens as blockers. And so they didn't get out in as many routes as the year wore on. And so that started to kind of – take right and start taking away opportunities but with Titus on the field obviously with everybody else healthy but with Laramie and Titus on the field they can handle their own on the edge they don't need help you know they they might need a chip every now and again if a guy gets hot but they don't need somebody to just stay out there and just say, hey, we're going to double we're just going to help and we're gonna double they get out in routes they have more opportunities uh, and I think that is huge Titus Howard being on the field at right tackle is a massive massive thing for this over under as it pertains to tight ends it's one of the reasons why i think they'll go over because they'll just have more opportunities i'm
1: cool if that happens i think it's going to stay under though but now you're making me think like oh man, because hey we've talked about it many many times this offseason when you had left to right tunsell sharping martin fulton and howard on the field together starting they only that that group only started together six times last season but when they started together texans were five and one and i don't think it's any coincidence that that the Texans were much better in those games um, than as opposed to when they weren't. Okay, my final over under, John, or true or false, John. There will be a one thousand yard rusher for the Houston Texans.
0: Oh, I want to say yes. Think so. I want. I want to say yes. I want to say yes. But there's always a difference between want and need. And I need to say no. Because I, man, I would love to have one of these guys sort of kind of break out, you know, David Johnson get back in that, you know, 13, 1400 yards category. But I almost don't think it's best for the offense if either one of them is getting near 100 or, or getting 1,000 yards or more, because it just means there's that much more of a focus on that one guy in the running yeah. game. And maybe a guy is now banged up or the other guy is just not effective or whatever the case might be. But I think if both are healthy, and they're one, two in this thing, even a little bit more than Hyde and Duke did last year. Then I think they're both gonna fall short of 1,000. But I think combined, I think they both can, or I think they can do 850 to 900 each and have more rushing yards combined than Duke and, and Carlos did last year, which I think would be about 1, 15, 1600 yards, somewhere in that, that range. I think they can do 18 to 1850 combined. Um, but it, it means that they may not either one of them get to a thousand, but I think they're going to get 800, 850 each. I think they're going to get probably 450 to 500, uh, in the passing game. So I think you can get highly effective outputs from your running back, but I just don't think you're going to get to a thousand because of the way I think they're going to end up playing that in the backfield. And here's the other thing too. When I think about this offense, I think about the Patriots a lot because all the different pieces in the Patriots' running game. And I think that they'll play it the same way. Guy gets a hot hand, stays in that particular game, or they stay in that mode. And so that guy becomes the, the featured guy for that game. Hey, this is a David Johnson kind of game. This is a Duke Johnson kind of game. Um, and so I think that can happen as well. Uh, we've seen that with the Patriots over the years. That Super Bowl against the Falcons, that became a James White kind of game. He had to go in there, and I think he had like 12 catches in that game. Um, and then had the final run for the touchdown to win it in that Super Bowl in the stadium right behind you. So I think that can happen too. I think they both will have good, strong years, but I don't think they'll get to 1,000 yards rushing individually. And I do think they'll get to about 450, 500 receiving. And that really kind of dents that – You know, goes back to that question of 1,000-yard receiver – they're going to take a significant chunk of that. I think they could have a 1,000 between them, honestly, and that's going to take a little bit away from what the receivers end up getting.
1: You know, when I asked this question, I tried to think in my mind, when's the last time the Texans really effectively were able to integrate three running backs into a season and and get get yardage out of three guys? And my first thought was 2012 because of Arian, and then I thought, well, Ben Tate did some stuff, but you also had Justin Forsett. And I was thinking that Tate and Forsett had a lot more yardage than they did because when I look back at the numbers, it's actually, man, Arian had 1,400 yards. He averaged 4.1 a carry, but he had 15 touchdowns on the ground. Yeah. He also caught 40 passes and caught uh, two touchdowns. Out of Tate and Forsett, who do you think had more yardage that year? Forsett. So by about 100 yards. But he only had 374 yards. Tate had 279. Um, yeah. Before set, a- averaged 5.9 yards of pop. So that was like a – I thought – so you get over f- almost 600 yards from those two plus yeah. 1,400. You got 2,000 yards out of three guys. I think you're going to see a little bit of Karan Higdon or maybe another yeah, back too. besides the Johnson and Johnson tandem. But look out for Karan Higdon because he was on the practice squad last year, promising college career, and he seems like he could do some damage and get some touches and get – you know get some success plus running backs get injured so when that happens you got to have another, another guy come in and I think he's a guy that's now after getting a, a year of seasoning going to be capable of doing that so keep an eye on Karan Higdon and I'm with you I do not see a thousand yard rusher from one guy but I could right. see a very effective attack from three or two of them combined
0: yeah Karan Higdon's a fun guy to me you know he's a little shorter but some some people say oh he's small, like. Don't confuse short with small. Yeah, yeah. He is a thick, strong guy, and he has always been a guy that runs between the tackles. Always. He has no fear. I used to love watching him at Michigan because he seems so much shorter than everybody else. But man, he just pinball off guys. Remember seeing him at the Senior Bowls? The same kind of thing. He has some juice inside. I think the year on the practice squad will help him immensely. And I absolutely agree with you. I think he could be a factor at some point. Look, the four, think of the best run games in the, in the NFL. The 49ers have one of them. Roheem Mostart, uh, Matt Breida, um, you know, McKinnon, they've never been able to get healthy. But they've had a number of different backs that they throw at you. Um, and then they kind of find a hot hand. And at the end of the year, it ended up being Roheem Mostart. Um, and so I think that's the way the Texans can end up going with Duke and David. And I think Kron Higgins ends up being a factor, too, for sure.
1: Good stuff, dude. Well, this was a lot hey, of fun. Uh, we'll do it again next Tuesday, like we do every Tuesday. I hope you're doing great. I'll see you, you too, soon, my friend. Hope you're well. All right, yeah, man.
0: man. Sounds great.